What's up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod, your weekly look at what's going on in pop culture. My name is Patrick Sheen. I am here with Dave Martinson. Dave, is it really the end of 2017 already? If you say so, man. It's kind of strange. It's been a long year, and if you look back at all the various pop culture things we've talked about, a lot of that stuff does feel like a very long time ago, so I suppose a year has passed. Yeah, it's simultaneously it's felt like the fastest and the longest year. I feel like I say that at the end of every year, but I feel like Twitter especially this year has made my life seem very fast and very slow because there's constantly things I'm reading and looking at and watching videos of. Always consuming. But that, that causes me to feel like, how did that happen only a week ago, you know? Just to kind of jump right into it, we're going to be doing our review of 2017, the year in TV. Next week, we're going to be dropping our Star Wars review. Very excited to see Star Wars Episode Eight. It looks like it's going to be fantastic. The reviews are universal acclaim, too. So if you're not hyped, get hyped. And then the following week, we'll be dropping our best of music and best of movies in that order so if you want to catch all of that content please subscribe down here go to soundcloud.com slash nostalgia pod in order to get all of our past work and if you want to hear more than what we're going to be talking about today we talked about a lot of stuff that we won't be touching on today for best of tv so definitely check it out why don't we look back the trends of the year though so tv is probably one of the most evolving platforms in terms of how we consume media what trend stood out to you for the year 2017 with tv so we talk about peak tv all the time it's a really popular buzzword that you'll see thrown around a lot that makes you sound smart yada yada but what does that really mean just in general for the theme of this podcast we're talking about the best shows of the year we've talked about uh, almost all of these shows at length on the pod before so we might recover some ground so if you've been a loyal listener you might have some concepts reinforced, so you're welcome for that. But yeah, so peak TV basically means that TV is just overflowing right now. There were 455 shows in development last year. That's expected to officially be over 500 for 2017. That That's insane. That's scripted TV. That, that doesn't even count like reality stuff, let alone you know anything on the news that people really want to care about. But much too much television for the normal any normal person to consume if they have a full time job, if they have any sort of responsibility. Every single TV critic of note, whose job is literally to watch as much TV as possible, even they can't keep up. So with this dearth of quantity, you really have to separate amongst your own personal taste what do you want to watch because. In addition to all this quantity, there also is so much quality. As you see our list, and you will see how much good shows don't make our top 10, whether because we didn't watch it or because they didn't fit in, it's kind of an everlasting problem. And when I think about what trends we had this year, I think one of those is kind of the dearth of options you have to watch TV. Mm -hmm. We've talked about streaming services and how they're continuing to invest in themselves and become more and more necessary to have access to them because of the good stuff they have. And CBS All Access really uh, continuing to bust out. They started off with The Good Fight, which was the Good Wife spinoff. Then they got Star Trek Discovery, Star Trek's return to television, first time in several years, which is being well-received, already renewed for a second season. And then most recently, Jordan Peele, the breakout director of Get Out, of course, his follow-up, he had the pick of the litter, he could do basically anything he wanted. He's reviving The Twilight Zone for CBS All Access. And does that mean you need to get CBS All Access right now? Probably not, not at least not yet, but all these services are investing in their content libraries, and it's just becoming more and more essential to 
have access to everything. I mean, we've talked about the Disney streaming service as expected in 2019. I mean, what are your thoughts on this overflowing amount of options that we have nowadays and how you try and parse out what you actually consume? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, as you talked about peak TV, the, the thing I kept thinking about was the depth of monoculture, especially with TV, like movies and, and music. There are always artists and albums that are going to grab the culture because that's just kind of how it works but tv is much more individualized i feel like at this point like, yeah obviously there aren't as many big like rock artists anymore but there's still like pop artists and uh, hip-hop artists that grab the culture like drake dropping more life was yep. absolutely literally grab the weekend like damn dropping grab the weekend movies that dropped like star wars is gonna grab this weekend it's already grabbed the week basically people are already yep. talking about it. tv's a little different though because you have so many different ways to get it not everybody has access to those ways stranger things might be the last show that's monoculture i'm sure more things will pop up like stranger things um, right but breaking bad was appointment tv there's nothing like that anymore that's a great point i mean game of thrones obviously is the right, premier yeah. piece of monoculture right now but only one season to go and by monoculture what we mean by that is that is a piece of content that is something that's being consumed by everyone at the same time everyone's engaging and talking about it together all at once HBO has long owned Sunday night. That's the only night they have original programming airing on, and it's worked for them forever. But yeah, you said Breaking Bad. I mean, all the Golden Age shows of the past generation, like Mad Men, Breaking Bad, The Wire, even something like Boardwalk Empire, you know, stepped down. The Sopranos, obviously. All those shows had this kind of pull, but now, I mean, Stranger Things is so popular, but it has a very obvious difference from Game of Thrones. It's on Netflix. And how does Netflix release something? They release the whole season all at once. Since this theme with other shows that we'll talk about coming up, but when shows are on the streaming service and the full season is available all at once, there is really not that much monoculture because everyone's watching at their own pace. I mean, if you listen to Nostalgia, which you should subscribe on YouTube, please, you know that I personally am not a big fan of binging something all at once. And Pat, you also like to space as much as you can if you can help it. I finished easy, by the way. Nice. I still have only seen the first two. <laughs> but what does that mean? That means that you might be missing out on some of the engagement, but also the conversation's so scattered, mm-hmm. you know, because everyone has their own pace. And I think, on, I, honestly, I don't like that because the legs of a show like Stranger Things, definitely, but even something like Mindhunter would be longer because people would be right. engaging it at the same time. When a full season is all available all at once, sometimes that intimidates people and they'll get to it later. So these various options about how much you watch at once has definitely contributed to the lack of monoculture, no question. Yeah, and it's just pick on that piece a little bit more. It's also the kind of thing where as you get further ahead and people aren't as far ahead, you're kind of asking like, oh, have you finished? Have you finished? Have you finished? And our spoiler phobia culture. Right, and I think I think it's actually like a good thing for culture websites and podcasts like us because this is a place where people can find conversations about some of the things that they want to be talking about. But at the same time, in terms of like, the normal person just wants to have a conversation with their friend about it. They're not able to connect on these things as much anymore. It's definitely interesting. And to go back to your question about how you choose services moving forward, that, that's a question that I think is it's going to have to be individual to each person. I think like the, the giants like Netflix, HBO, even Amazon are ones that you definitely should subscribe to. But as it becomes more and more niche, man, I don't know. <laughs> are you going to be paying as much as a cable subscription down the line for these streaming services? I hope not. I mean, Amazon, with their Lord of the Rings show, they're investing so much money in. What is the, the goal of that? I mean, Bezos, and since left Amazon Roy Price, he basically said that they wanted 
Amazon that have a Game of Thrones zeitgeist-like show. In this case, they literally got the show that inspired Game of Thrones, the George R. R. Martin and whatnot's little on the nose. That's the point of investing this much money into such a big show to try and recapture that buzz. But the 21st Century Fox deal with Disney that might be on again still hasn't happened. If that were to happen, Disney would own 60% of Hulu because they have a 30% stake and so does Fox. And the rumor is that they would build their Disney streaming service around Hulu. So in a sense, that actually is kind of good for the average consumer because we kind of were already parsing in our, our mind that Hulu and the Disney streaming service would be two separate entities. Maybe there's a subscription tier to them, but you know, if we're uniting the streamers, that might be good for the average person. We, we talked a little bit about that, how there's going to be probably some like conjoining of these services down the line. It's a little bit early to like know what that landscape looks like, but this is probably our first glimpse of something like that. Any other trends that you want to talk about? So these are just some quick notes. We had the TV writers avoid a strike you know, earlier in the year, I believe it was in May. Right, right. And basically that kind of, Uh, ties into what we've been talking about tv has evolved so fast both how you watch it the length of seasons is much broader now than it used to be the old network ways of a 22 episode season of this you know same episode length all that's very changed and so thus residuals have changed what makes a full-time writer all these things have changed so writers had to be compensated more and not all their demands were met it's much more modern bargaining agreement basically so that's a good thing to keep an eye on because you, we should see more of these disputes coming uh, as everyone updates their labor laws. So keep an eye on that as the industry keeps up with the way the industry actually works. I'm um, also nothing that necessarily started this year, but something that's very prevalent this year was the identity of the season of TV. We always talk. I mean, we do this all the time. We talk about like Fargo season two. Right. Has its own identity. Not so much talk about Fargo, but each season. Stranger Things two. Right, and, and Stranger Things is not an anthology like Fargo, but Stranger Things 2 is its own identity. So, I mean, I, mean, I think Ryan Murphy kind of really pioneered this with American Horror Story, again, an anthology, but the identity of a season, Game of Thrones Season 7, very prevalent these days, and I don't expect that to go away. And the last thing I wanted to mention, which is I'll, I'll get into it in more depth shortly with one of the shows, but talent, specifically Hollywood talent, flocking to TV, the age of peak TV, both following the scripts and following the great writers that's only just begun and it's going to continue to happen as big actors like jeff daniels and godless openly say that the best scripts the best work is on tv these days yeah it's kind of crazy i was like thinking about on my drive home today my favorite tv directors my favorite like movie directors and i feel like there's a lot of really great up-and-coming movie directors right now i mean like ryan coogler comes to mind as like someone who's just about to like sure. skyrocket and become unstoppable. But I was thinking- Damien Chazelle. The TV. You know, Sam Eshmel is, is a known Fincher follower. And like, yep. But then it's like David Simon, David Lindelof. These people are yep. making shows that are at the quality of TV, which is something that has only been like a recent development within like the last like five or so years. Right. And that David O. Russell show with Robert De Niro and Julianne Moore big time movie director and two huge movie stars They've since canceled but again like that's the thing we're gonna see and big little lies john mark valet young pope paolo sorrentino those those yeah. are movie people coming to television and it's not gonna stop so uh why don't we look back at our list from last year do you have yours right right there 
Mm-hmm. Why don't you run through it real quick? 2016, I watched less TV than this year. I feel I have a much more robust list this year. I just counted up the series I watched. I've simply just watched more in 2017. But uh, anyway, 2016, I counted down from 10. The Night Manager, Better Call Saul, Easy, Silicon Valley, The Last Panthers, Stranger Things, Game of Thrones, Mr. Robot, The Night of, and Atlanta. It's a little bit of, of revisionist history right here. I don't know what you're talking about there, dog. What are you talking about? Check the, the nostalgia receipts. I, bl- I believe that end of last year you had Westworld on there, House of Cards, season season five, which was... second The second best season of House of Cards. Yeah. And then, uh, <laughs> what was the last one? I can't remember. Oh, Daredevil. it was Daredevil, yeah. So you, you had obviously seen more movie or more shows by the time that you made your blog list so i'll let you have it but i'm glad i'm glad you, you got to add some more shows so that's actually a decent list looking back at like the top ones especially i had in descending order easy oj made in america black mirror night of v bojack horseman mr robot stranger things game of thrones and atlanta at one atlanta can't wait for that i mean lakeith stanfield was teasing everyone on instagram changing the date but they wrapped production for season two so probably spring next year and i think it's a safe prediction can't wait man it's gonna be awesome Donald glover's about to have a huge 2018 again oh just like his 2017 and his 2016 yeah surprise dude's unstoppable right now <laughs> how about we talk about some shows that either we didn't get to watch or that didn't make our list i mean there's like you said there's so much good tv <laughs> i was looking through some of some other like end of year list and there were shows on there that i hadn't even like considered watching so I, I guess one that, that stands out for me, I think you're going to talk about it, Twin Peaks I didn't get to watch. My goal for next year is to catch up at some point, but I, 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 I can, I can jo- join the discussion a couple of years late at this point. Obviously, shows like BoJack I didn't get to finish, American Vandal I'm like halfway through, which I wanted to finish but I haven't gotten to, really enjoying it. I didn't get to watch Better Call Saul or like Insecure. Slacking. Yeah, there's there's a lot of yeah. shows. That I, I like to watch Insecure. I've heard season two is a step up. Mm-hmm. Issa Rae is awesome. Yeah, they can definitely want to watch that. What other shows haven't you watched that you want to get to? I want to watch The Handmaid's Tale. Oh, right. Season one on Hulu. Elizabeth Moss and the show itself won a bunch of Emmys. Uh, Top of the Lake. September. China Girl. Top of the Lake. China Girl is supposed to be awesome. Yeah. Jane Campion. Godless, which is just a Western miniseries, limited series. It's like seven episodes. That's it. It's a really good Western. Jeff Daniels. Jack O'Connell, etc. Hear great things. I want to really want to watch Halt and Catch Fire. I haven't watched the show at all. Uh, four seasons. It's all on Netflix. I think that's something I'm going to realistically tackle. Let's see. The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel just came out bring on Amazon. Yeah, I want to get to that. You heard good things. Rachel Brosnahan, who was on House of Cards, like the the vehicle for the, the star vehicle for that. Better Things we've talked about before. Girlfriend Experience is supposed to be really good. Sneaky Pete. Uh, Ozark. Yeah. Is shout out to Chris Ryan. <laughs> Some people really love Ozark. Didn't really grab me, but, you know, maybe one day. <laughs> Veep. Veep. I don't watch Veep. I know you yes, do. Veep was very good. The Crown just came out. My Hero Academia, really good anime. Uh, Samurai Jack, mm-hmm. final season, was supposed to be really good. And then even shows that we watched or didn't watch, but they, they're good shows, but these past seasons weren't quite as strong. Shows like Stranger Things, Fargo, The Americans. Sherlock, Silicon Valley, Transparent, You're the Worst, Vice Principals. I could go on and on. Uh, girls finished up this year. I did watch Girls. Yeah. What'd you think? I mean, Girls was such an influential show when it first started. You know, it probably went on a little too long, and Liam Dunham's not the most likable person these days. It but... was a strong last season, but I think it was strong because the last two seasons leading up to it were very not that great. But that, right. it's, it's coming from someone that 
was never fully in on the show to begin with. I thought it was good, but didn't love gotcha. it. So take it for what it's worth. And then even on broadcast, uh, This Is Us obviously is is huge for good reason. Dude, I've actually Rocking. been watching This Is Us. Are you really? Do you like being sad? Oh, dude, it's the worst. I, I, <laughs> at the end of every episode, they have like this one moment where it's supposed to make you cry. And like without fail, I turn to Julianne and she is bawling her eyes out. It gets her every single <laughs> wow. time. It's fun. I don't know how they do it. It's amazing. <laughs> even Riverdale on the CW has a large cult following. People love that. Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, same thing. And then one of the surprise hits, I don't know why the show is so popular, but The Good Doctor with Freddie Highmore, he got a fucking Golden Globe nomination. Like, I don't... I, I didn't even hear about this. I don't... It's just a, it's a network show. We didn't really talk about those. Huh. You know? And then one show that probably the worst season of TV I watched this year, and you bailed early, uh, Taboo with Tom Hardy. <laughs> fucking sucks. I was looking through, <laughs> through my list. I was like, how, that was this year? Like, yeah. it, I forgot about that show as fast as it is. I was over yeah. it after the first. Also, episode. I wasn't too big on uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm this year. I saw the whole season. Yeah, it was a uh, not a great return. Anyways, any 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 honorable mentions for your list? We're about to do our top tens. Yeah. We're gonna talk about each one as it comes up. But what what ones didn't make your list? Anymore? Yeah, I have one honorable mention, and that'd be Glow. Do you have Glow on your list? Glow. So I have a tie for number ten. So we we, we can talk about Glow right now because it's at it's tied for ten with a Legion. Couldn't choose between these two. But Glow, why why didn't it? Well, I was thinking about Glow making this list. Glow came out in the summer on Netflix. Really captured a, a small moment, I would say. Again. Netflix show middle of the summer not a great time necessarily to keep a conversation but it did have its moment in the sun and for good reason obviously about the 80s setting female wrestlers Allison Brie and Mark Maron really carry the show with tremendous performances and it's just such a fun enjoyable watch it's just really just really pleasurable and really well done I mean it hat lashes out all the side characters pretty well a pretty interesting show it doesn't go on too many detours it's just really enjoyable but I just think the impact of Glow isn't quite as big as everything else on my list, so that's why I have it outside the top 10. Yeah, I think the reason I, I feel like I, I'd want to put Glow on my list and why I thought I'd put it 10th with Legion is because it was a show that, kind of like Stranger Things last year, popped up out of nowhere and really grabbed attention for like a week or two. And it did come during a very slow time of the year. But Alison Brie, Betty Gilpin, and Mark Maron's performances in this show are just phenomenal. Especially Mark Maron. We saw him in Easy last year. I've seen him in some other things. I've never been a, been a huge Mark Maron fan. But this role was like made for him. And he's perfect for it. He, he really, I think, steals the show. And, and my takeaway is I'm excited for next season. Like I really want to see like what they're going to do. Like how it's going to grow. I think anything that leaves me wanting more is something that I want to definitely give some acclaim to. Did you have Legion on your list? I did. I have Legion a little farther down at number eight. Number eight. So yeah, Legion for me. So when I was looking back at the shows, I was thinking mostly about like what shows made me think a lot. And one of the themes I think that comes up in my list are shows that I got a lot of enjoyment out of, but also ended up intriguing me or making me curious or making me think about the show long past the time that I've watched it. Legion did that because it was so unique. I mean, I haven't seen Twin Peaks, but pretty much everything I've heard is that it's like the weirdest season of television ever made. So for me, that was Legion, pretty much. I mean, it was a very bizarre show that went further and further inside Dan Stevens' character's head. I mean, one of the episodes basically took place in an ice cube. Like, <laughs> I mean, that that alone in that that uh, that Bolero like sequence where you know it was uh, Aubrey Plaza basically just getting the ISO for a little bit and dominate be just terrifying but 
funny and, and mesmerizing. The the show had its awesome moments, and I think Noah Hawley's gonna make that show. Like I don't know if cult classic is the right right word, but something cute. I know I, I agree. I mean, Aubrey Plaza gives her best performance. Dan Stevens shows quite a lot of range in the role, and yeah, and like we said, Noah Hawley, while Fargo season three took a step back, by no means was bad, still quite good, but you know wasn't as strong as the first two seasons. Perhaps that was because Noah Hawley was more preoccupied with getting Legion off the ground and. You know, it has the X-Men backdrop, but that's hardly what the show is about. And it does so much new things. It's not, you know, it really challenges the viewer, both in terms of your comprehension of what's actually happening on screen, but also your tolerance for <laughs> how you expect TV to function. And it's also quite enjoyable. And, you know, it's fresh. It's not, it's hardly predictable. So I think Legion Season 2, like you said, has great potential. And Legion, while a critical darling, was not that popular of a show and didn't even get any Emmy attention. So we'll see how it goes moving forward. But I think Legion is definitely one of those underwatched shows and even under-talked about shows that is worth watching because of how unique it is at the end of the day. Definitely. What was your number 10? My number 10 is Big Little Lies. Did you finish that? I know it's not on your list. Big Little Lies? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think we talked yeah, about it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you. I think you watched it before me. I definitely was on, on early. I thought it was very good, but it didn't have, have the, the substance to me, I think, that for something that, that made my list. But why did you put it in? I think it does have a lot of merit because it mixes the melodrama you would assume a show about a bunch of rich wives in Monterey, California yeah. would have. But then it also kind of gets ahead of the Me Too movement because the back half of the season has very serious undertones regarding domestic violence. And this is the show I was kind of alluding to earlier, but there's never been a show with more star power than Big Little Lies. Right. Reese Witherspoon and Nicole Kidman were EPs on the show as well as the you know the two leads. And they helped make this make this whole thing happen. And then bringing in Laura Dern and Shaleen Woodley and Zoe Kravitz. I mean, the buzz... And Alexander Skarsgård. Oh, right, of course. And a TV vet like Skarsgård. So... I mean, the buzz writes itself in terms of star power, but I think just the fact that you're bringing those people into your living room it w- was is still kind of a foreign idea because, like, when we talk about like great casts of other shows, it's like talk about Fargo season two. It's like Ted Danson. Ted Danson is not a movie star. Ted Danson is fucking. Oh, awesome. I love Ted Danson, but he's not Don't on the level of anyone on Big Little Lies in terms of fame. So just the fact that you got all these people into a show, and also made a really good season of television on top of that. I think it's such a triumph, and it's such an influential show because more and more people are going to try and recreate that magic. Julia Roberts has signed on to two different shows. Jonah Hill and Emma Stone are reuniting with Kerry Fukunawa for the show Maniac. <laughs> Kerry Fukunawa. If Big Little Lies never happened, the star-driven shows continuing to happen, but it's kind of the, the first uh, step in the new road. So, yeah, that's why I have it on there, because I think it's the impact is just undeniable. It's probably the most influential show of the year in terms of how it'll impact the future of the business. Nicole Kidman got that Emmy. Yeah, Big Little Lies, I, I think for me, it was it was more just fun. It was kind of like bubblegum. Like, I like chewing it. it. It was pleasurable, but in the end, I, I didn't end up taking much as much away as you did. But, I, you know, looking at the impact it'll have on the larger picture, makes a lot of sense and i think that's definitely deserving of getting recognition on this list what was your number nine My number nine was master of none season two hey same here nice how about that aziz ansari Alan hello Yang. hello 
Man, did anyone think Aziz Ansari had this much creative talent? No, not even close. I thought he was always going to be one of those like this is a funny guy kind of like side characters. Yeah, like yeah. what he was on Parks and Rec, I thought was what he was destined to be. Yeah, then he became a, a incredibly gargantuan stand up comedian, like stand up tour guy. Yeah, yeah. okay, huge. He's one of the big comedians, but. He separated himself from basically everyone else except for the now disgraced Louis C.K. in terms of someone who actually has creative juices and new ideas. I mean, Master of None season two, this came out back in May. I believe you watched the whole season in one weekend or was it one day? It wasn't one day. It was definitely like a weekend. Like 18 hours or something? (laughs) I definitely crushed it. I definitely crushed it. Yeah, I mean, the thing I think I really like about Master of None is it's just so unique and it's diverse and it takes chances that not many other shows take like the episode New York I Love You which doesn't follow anyone from the season at all it follows three different random stories of people in New York and living their day-to-day life it's shot beautifully the first episode is in black and white gender and sexuality and how that interplays within different cultures it's just really phenomenal and culturally sensitive and well done and there's not a lot of other shows like it on tv no definitely not i mean you said in terms of being a modern multicultural show uh, the writing for thanksgiving was awarded at the emmys that was the episode with lena waith's character you know coming out to her family i was it angela bassett was a guest star excellent episode one of the best episodes of all shows of the, the, year, of the year no doubt and i think what really kind of brings my appreciation of the show home is when you listen to Aziz talk about the future of the show, not because he's doing press for it, just because people ask him about it. And Aziz basically says that a season three, there's no plans for season three until there are plans. He has no, he's not in any rush to make the show until he has more life experiences that he deems worthy of exploring. He actually went to Italy and got off the grid. He likes being a private person. I think that's just so commendable. But on top of that, he translates that ambition and that you know sense of purpose into excellent TV that has a great message that almost no other show can match. Yeah, and I think another interesting piece, you talked about how Big Little Lies got out in front of the, the Me Too movement. I mean, this had a character who is like this big star ends up being disgraced because of these harassment right. allegations that are brought against him. Another show that was a little bit ahead of its time in terms of bringing to light like the cultural climate around Hollywood and stardom. Definitely a really interesting show. And Aziz is just a really brilliant filmmaker at this point, or a TV yeah. maker. Creator. Yeah. Number eight on my list. Something that I know is not going to be on your list. So let me let me talk about this for a little bit. Mind Hunters. I really want... Why do you keep calling them Mind Hunters? You keep giving it plural. Know. It's Mind like... Hunter, I know, but like, I, I really... <laughs> your mom's? I, I, I want to give... I, I don't know. I want to give credit to Halt... Wait, McCallney? McCallney? Hal... Yeah, right. Yeah. Halt, no, it's Holt, right? You watch the show, man, not me. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but I know the character's name on the show. I got it. Yeah, I want to watch Mindhunter. That's probably the most anticipated show of the year that I want to watch that I haven't yet. So, yes, please tell me why. I... Well, it starts a little bit rocky, but I think as, as, the, sh- as the show goes on, you know, it's not one of those shows that just is another, like, cry- psychological crime procedural. It's not a crime show. Yeah, no, it's it's more about Holden Ford, played by Jonathan um, Groff. our man J- Jonathan Groff, who we definitely talked about on a past Nostalgia pod. And slowly you see his character and, and how he's affected by the people he's talking about and how he shares some similarities to the people and how that affects him. And it all just builds and builds until the last three episodes of the season where his personal life is in a weird place, his professional life is in this strange place. 
and the work that he's doing is basically consuming him in all climaxes with maybe my scene of the year i'm not sure but the way that that led zeppelin's in the light drops in that final episode and he goes back and is talking with ed kemper and just like the tension of that scene i literally think about it at least once a week it was just a stunning moment of television that i think it could go higher on my list but i think that just speaks to how strong the rest of the year was that this is only sure yeah definitely and that actor is holt mccallan yes I have it written down, but I cannot read my own handwriting, so that's good. Also, Anna Tor plays Wendy in the show, and she's fantastic. The, yeah, and, and Fincher and his, the, I mean, he's just a master class in, in right. shooting any kind of film. Of so, course. His movie uh, definitely check my Hunter out. What was your number eight? Yeah, no, I want to. I think that I'm getting to it soon, don't you worry. So what was number eight for you? My number eight was Legion. Oh, right. What about number seven? Number seven was a show you did not watch. Better Call Saul, season three. Tell me about it. Why should I watch that show? Well, Vince Gilligan, his touch, you know, obviously Breaking Bad. He's such a meticulous filmmaker. There's really no wasted frames. There's no wasted scenes in either of his, you know, two shows. But Better Call Saul season three, I think really, I think it's much more engaging than season two. I think that was kind of a criticism of season two, that it was a little indulgent, a little dull to the average viewer. But season three, the relationship between Jimmy and Chuck, Bob Odenkirk, and Michael McKeon uh, really comes to a head uh, in this season. And the episode Chicanery is one of the best episodes of the year. And Michael McKeon's performance throughout the whole season is uh, amazing. That's probably one of the biggest Emmy snubs of the year. It's just such an engaging show. And the performances are just so stellar. Vince Gilligan's touch is so immaculate. If you've enjoyed the, the plot of Better Call Saul, if you like those characters, this will increase your appreciation of those characters. Because I think this season is just so meticulous and the writing is just so immaculate and there's really nothing bad to say about it unless you're someone that needs constant you know action in your face yeah i think that was my big screen poorly paced i felt like it was i think just compared to especially like the last couple seasons of breaking bad and jump into better Call very Saul. different breaking bad started off slow too but then it came very quick I'm definitely gonna catch up on guess on Netflix. Was it was there anything about the season other than the, the Jimmy Chuck relationship that you felt like really bumped the show up to be, I mean, number seven on the list of really great shows? Yeah, uh, what's his name? Nacho has some good stuff. He's one of the new characters. Nacho. Yeah, of course, Jonathan Banks, Mike Ehrman Trout, still very present in the show as well. But the stars of the show of that season are the Jimmy versus Chuck for sure. Do we know how many seasons this is going to be? Uh, I don't think we do. There's at least one more coming. So this is a show that can go I'm looking forward as to. long or you know not as long as it wants because I think the the plot is very much secondary to what makes it good. But at the same time, we have that awesome plot connection to Breaking Bad, and we have those black and white future scenes of like Jimmy in the mall. So there's a lot to Better Call Saul, and you can like so many different things. So something that I'm going to guess is on your list. My my next show, my number seven show, The Deuce, David Simon's Baby. Where did it fall on your list? Number five. Number five. So not too far off. Yeah, the deuce. I mean, we talked about it a lot. I feel like on the pods. I don't know. How, we did. If there's anything new to really say about it, other than David Simon is a master of creating a feeling for you, like like you're going mm-hmm. into a place when you go when you watch a David Simon show, and I think he does that by getting amazing performances out of characters, not of people. I mean, like James Franco. I feel like. He's someone that's had some really great moments in the past, but this year with Disaster Artist, which I can't wait to see, and his performance on this, I mean, this has to be his yeah. best like acting year by far. Oh, no doubt. He's great. 
We've talked a lot about Maggie Gyllenhaal's character, the best character on the show. Also an amazing performance. Yes. Yeah, I mean, like you said, Simon really is adept at taking you to a world. And in this world, you know, the rise of pornography at Times Square back when it was not as touristy and cliche Instagram as it is today. You know, we've talked a lot about the show. David Simon, George Pelicanos, true you know, crime writer, really famous. But I mean, Simon, this is his first show that's getting a second season since Treme. So it's been a minute. And you know, that that's kind of exciting. We'll see where it picks up. But even if it didn't get a season two, which I don't think it needed at all, season one, there's just so much there with I mean, every every subplot of the show is interesting because the characters are so well fleshed out. Yeah. And it's so respectful of the business of prostitution. It doesn't glamorize that or anything and actually shows you how not hot that kind of yeah. sex is. And, of course, the writing is excellent. The scripts are, are so good with all the talent involved. What would you expect? So, yeah, I think The Deuce, it's only eight episodes. That's a show that if you haven't watched, you definitely need to make time for. I don't know what else to say. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, just kind of going back to David Simon with The Wire, he takes these worlds that are kind of like not very glamorous at all that I don't think a lot of people, unless you're kind of like uh, confronted with it in some way, like you see a, a drug dealer or you see a prostitute on the street, you know, maybe don't even think about these worlds. And he really puts you in them, but not in a way that maybe makes you feel like a this is uncomfortable. I don't want to watch. It actually pulls you in, but it's real too. It's, it doesn't really beat around the bush, like you said. So, David Simon, he hits the right tone, which I think is something that with these kind of topics is hard to do. What was next on your list? So, Deuce was five. Better Call Saul was seven. Number six for me is Game of Thrones. Same. Look at that. How Look at about that nostalgic that? connection. Game of Thrones, only number six. Yeah, for me, it was number four last year for me. Season six of Game of Thrones, everyone loved because of all the plot a me b right i think having danny Pay finally out. leaving essos you know etc we've talked about game of thrones at length you don't need to rehash the plot for everyone but season seven is at number six it's a little lower because i think this season had some pretty obvious issues it's perhaps the first big show in a long time that needed more episodes not less <laughs> in the age of netflix giving 13 episode season orders to shows that only need eight episodes right. the fact that thrones could have used more was definitely glaring and i think the writing while still good there were some narrative leaps of logic that were just a little much and that says something how about those it's ravens show, it's when it's a fantasy show yeah how about those ravens <laughs> those teleporting ships yep. and dragons and again i think a lot of that you can tolerate but you know overall it's still worthy of a demerit i think a big part of that is because this season was clearly table setting for the final season which will get in 2019 so in a sense it's kind of hard to do a uh, penultimate season the americans also had a very similar dip happen before their final season comes out so in a sense benny off and weiss have built up so much goodwill that anyone who says game of thrones is bad now (laughs) they're gonna be happy with what happens in season seven right i don't see how you can assume anything else until it actually happens therefore they get a little bit past for me. Yeah, it, and honestly, even like bad Game of Thrones is good Game of Thrones. It, it's better than right. 95% of the other things on shows on TV just because it's it's such a spectacle. They've built up so many characters and you're invested in so many characters and storylines. And it's just, like I was thinking back to like like Loot Train Battle, which still might be the worst battle name of all yeah. time. That was a The Spoils amazing, of War. Amazing episode. These episodes are still episodes that I remember and think about. 
you know, it's interesting though because when we talk about Game of Thrones for this list, we talk about why we put it down so low instead of why higher. And I think that just speaks mm-hmm. to the quality of the show. It's just it's been mm-hmm. such a juggernaut that the fact it's six, it's like oh, what an off year for Thrones, but <laughs> it's still phenomenal. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, number six for me was Thrones. Number five for me, a show that I don't think you've watched, The Good mm-hmm. Place. Speaking of Ted Danson, so it's funny we didn't talk about it on Nostalgia Pod because I haven't been keeping up with it as it's gone along. So, like, I've caught up weeks or even months later. I didn't watch it when it originally came out. Actually, friend of the pod, Sean McKenna, turned me on to it. And I was like, yeah, maybe I'll check this out with, with my girlfriend. We both loved it. Season two came out. We've been a little, little bit behind on watching the show. But, man, it is so much fun. But, it, and, like, none of it feels like it should work. But somehow it all does. I don't want to give anything away. But there's, like, a major plot twist or uh, reveal yeah, in season reveal one. Reveal at the end yeah. of season one. And then season two picks up and you know it, it kind of starts where like they start restarting at the same place almost every episode but it actually works like at the point where you're not like annoyed with it it's actually pretty interesting to see how it goes ted danson's character is like much more unleashed in season two right so the premise of the good place at least from what from the beginning is that they go to heaven and they're basically these people in heaven and they're figuring out like you know one person is actually supposed to be there and they're trying to like figure that out but Ted Danson's character is an otherworldly being. So, like, he's not supposed to really have emotions. He's not supposed to think about things in, in an emotional way. He's supposed to be very logical and just, like, doing his job. But in the second season, with the way things change, he gets to have that emotional side and have these moments mm-hmm. that you wouldn't expect a character like him, him to have. They have an all-knowing robot that can bring anything to them that they want. Sounds like heaven. Yeah, well, it's played by Darcy Carden, and I, call, I shouted her out on my... Um, my Twitter because she is fucking amazing in the second season and there's like just so many things to like about the show it's fun it's lighthearted but it's also meaningful and like I said that's kind of what I've looked for in my shows this year mm-hmm. things that make me think but also make me enjoy watching and this show hits all those notches that's on NBC NBC right? check it out that's like the only broadcast show on our list I believe but you know this is us good place probably the two best shows on uh, broadcast and good places from Mike Schur, yep. who worked on The Office and co-created Parks and Rec. So quite the comedy pedigree. Yeah, just really good at making comedy TV. What was number five on your list? Number five was The Deuce for me. The Deuce. What was next on your list then? Number four was a show that we haven't seen the finale for this season, Mr. Robot, season three. Mr. Robot came in at number four for me as well. We can get to talk about this since, but have you seen episode seven? I've seen all nine so far, uh, finale tomorrow. Oh, wait, maybe, no, it was episode eight, I'm sorry. You know at the end of episode yeah. eight, which is, don't delete me, probably my favorite episode of the season, that scene where Elliot's uh, goes to the door and Angel's on the other side. Mm-hmm. That scene- Great framing. It was fucking amazing. And it was basically just talking about this like, childhood moment between them that has given him hope in some way but rami and portia doubleday who doesn't even say anything in the scene just dude it literally blew me away i wanted to text you and like talk about it like immediately we've talked about robot a lot it's one of our favorite shows in general but i think this is actually one of the kind of kind of rare i guess if you look at our list i mean this is the show that has the important new age tv auteur sam esmail as well as the all-world TV-dominating performance that you can't imagine the show not having with Rami Malek as Elliot Alderson. And you know, the combination of those two, Esmail's vision, his show has such a unique color palette and Frame. shot amazingly. Yes, the framing. I mean, earlier in the season, that two-parter when Elliot has to sneak into E-Corp and when they do that overhead shot 
where you see like above the building, like next to, uh, you know, there are multiple floors up. Really cool stuff he does with the camera uh, almost every week. And this show has continued to build up some of the side characters like Darlene and uh, Dom. Yep. And it's also a return to form in terms of overall quality. Well, season two was still very interesting. I thought really cool. Uh, was a little in the weeds at times. And season three, I think, is definitely a return to form. And I really cannot wait to see what happens in the finale. And we might chime in on that. At a later date. Maybe next week when we talk about Star Wars, we'll talk about uh, Miss Robot finale because I'm definitely going to watch it live. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, I think the thing that Eshmael does really well too is he almost takes a page out of the playbook of the guy who, who made the Departed. Why can't there's Scorsese? He takes a play because yep. like, he, he knows how, how to drop a, the perfect song, perfect time. You know, shout out to uh, Joanna and, and her death yes, this season. The rock set, listen to your heart. Yep. Amazing scene. <laughs> yeah, and he just. He knows how to drop, like, he had Robbie Rob, Bill and Ted's amazing, or excellent, excellent adventure, adventure yes. I, I can see for Miles, or uh, whatever the name that one was, like, for that scene, it just was, ah, see, I'm getting all worked up, because I'm getting so excited thinking about these scenes, this is what mm-hmm. Mr. Robot does. Definitely check out Robot from the first season, you, you can't just jump in at any point, but it's worth it, definitely worth it. Yeah, one of the greatest performances on TV going right now is Robbie Malik too, so there's a lot to like so the, the next one i have on my list rick and morty did you watch rick and morty i have not watched the show it's not that many episodes i'd like to get to at some point this season they were on an 18 month hiatus almost two years finally came back but yeah i mean i think you gotta take this show back from all those dorks with the donald's fiasco <laughs> you know so yeah. tell the people why rick and morty is a critical show worth watching why it's a cartoon worth caring about so in the same vein as bojack it has funny moments, but the show is really more about the psychological and the emotional side of these characters. So it follows Rick Rick Sanchez and Morty Smith, who is Rick's grandson, and Rick is this mad scientist. And they go on all these adventures throughout the universe. You know, it's voiced, both characters are voiced by Justin Roiland, who is also of the show, along with Dan Harmon, who created Community. And the show is so inventive and unique, and it has storylines that you never would think of. There's an episode in this season called the Rick Lantis Mix-Up, where <laughs> it, this is like more of a drama than... It's all Rick's and all Morty. It really explores their relationship and the cultural and societal relationships that I think a lot of people have. It's getting a lot of acclaim, and I would put it probably in the top five for just TV shows, like episodes I watched this year. The episodes that are fun and funny, like Pickle Rick, stand out, and the episodes like that that are deep and moving really stand out. So definitely check out Rick and Morty. It's a very fun watch. What was number three on your list? Yeah, number three is a show I believe is also on yours. One of the oldest shows of the year because this came out or started in i believe mid-january a show that we've hyped up for some time the young pope jude law sex pope hell yes uh <laughs> hbo but it wasn't an hbo original you know it came over from uh sky atlantic it i forget which uh, european show but it, it aired in italy first because paolo sorrentino the italian filmmaker very famous i haven't seen any of his works but there's a lot of uh, pieces about that if you're interested in his stuff but yeah he brought this wonderful show which is just so idiosyncratic and of course jude law anchors it with this amazing <laughs> performance that was honestly very underappreciated but the show is just unlike anything else on tv that it gets very personal and uh deep by the end of the season you know yeah. it's it's a joy so it came in at number two on my list i was describing it to our friend of pod sean mckenna and he was like should i watch this and i was like honestly dude like the first like four episodes they they're they're good but like 
you kind of think he's a dick and it's hard to root for him. And then like something happens around like episode four where like you really start to see him shift and it starts to become so meaningful and touching. And talk about like scenes that you remember, like the Africa speech or his smile speech at the very end. Those are things I go back to regularly to watch and just like think about life. I mean, on top of how beautiful Sorrentino's filming is, it's just, it's a really moving show. So I definitely think it's, it's worth, being this high on both of our lists yeah and it also looks amazing it wasn't yep. shot in the vatican but you wouldn't know it it's a very expensive looking show mm-hmm. yeah definitely watch this again it's a show that was not that popular but it's on a lot of critics lists and it's on it for a reason it's the stuff that other shows don't do and you know it's tough to really get into what that is without really spoiling anything and it's i don't want to spoil it for anyone because it's not super popular but uh yeah this is definitely uh this is this is like the deuce where i mean if you didn't watch it because it wasn't that buzzy change that because there's there's just so much into it that's so important i'm guessing that this show is either one or two for you it's number one for me the leftovers number two man i I fucking love the leftovers i'm so glad you caught up give me your thoughts on it (laughs) i caught up the whole series in like three weeks way too quick yeah i basically ran season one right back into season two more or less uh, it's an e- it was an easier show to catch up on because it's only 28 episodes total obviously season three aired may and june of this year on hbo damon lindelof of course creator of lost and yeah i think the leftovers season three really builds on the momentum of season two which kind of reestablished the show after a season one that was so morose so opaque so without levity that many people just absolutely loathed season one. Season two, especially by the end, well, I mean, they go to Jarden, Texas, and change of scenery, much more interesting visuals. Yep. Characters continue to get fleshed out. Then by the time you get to episode eight, International yep. Assassin, oh. an episode that's just so insane. And I'm so happy it exists. Yes. Because the, season three gives you a sequel to that in a... Was it episode seven of season three, Man on Earth? Yeah, the, the the most powerful man on Earth and his twin. Yes, that writer's room and Damon Lindelof, <laughs> they they just they, they get so much credit just because it's so creative. It's not just that they have great performances. Obviously, they do. Carrie Coon, Justin Thoreau. Carrie Coon's performance as Nora oh. Durst is you know a pantheon performance for television, but. The writers really get a lot of credit because the way they make you care about these characters, but they also do everything that's so unpredictable. And it's just, it really, I find the show so personal, especially by the end, and really makes you question a lot of stuff. And it's an easy comp, but when I watched it, and I was, you know, I, was, I, I read a lot, of, I engaged with a lot of criticism as I was catching up on the show, trying to catch up with how people thought as I went. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, this is the anti-Westworld. It's literally the opposite. <laughs> There's not a lot of plot. There's not a lot of exciting yep. things happen. And what they do have is intriguing characters that have arcs. Mm-hmm. Something Westworld was totally without in season one. And Leftovers Reddit isn't like, hmm, how did they depart? Right. Hmm, are we going to get the answers? Of course, you're not getting the fucking mm-hmm. answers. You should have known that from the start. And people that stick with Leftovers are smart enough to yes. understand that. And then in the Book of Nora, the finale, oh. when... Nora drops a bomb on Kevin at the very end. Kevin's like, I believe you. And it's like, oh shit. Do I, as the viewer, do I believe Nora? That changes no matter who you talk to. And I think that that makes it such a beautiful way to end it. Right. And the thing is, if you think about it, because it was like that final episode for a show that was talking about, you know, what, 2% of the world's population leaving and basically how people deal with their reactions to that. And she's talking about this, like, this huge 
Like, like you said, it's a bomb. And it's not really even about if, if you believe her or Kevin believes her. It's more about this is a show about you. It's about like how you deal with these situations, how you trust people, how you understand grief. And it was like the perfect ending. Basically tied up all the other characters to four as best as they could and the ones that you really cared about and brings you back to the two main characters and says this is what it is and we're gonna let you figure it out from here and that that's why Lindelof is such a fucking genius dude because he literally ended the show that shouldn't have even gotten this far with like the perfect right. most ambiguous ending or it could be the most non-ambiguous ending depending on how you take it right it's really phenomenal. yeah i think the leftovers middling season one included is probably it's one of the greatest shows of all time i think that's pretty consensus at this yeah. point at least among critics. yeah and damon lindelof is adapting uh watchman right now for hbo we don't have an official season order on that yet but he's working on it and by golly is that exciting just because of <laughs> you know his reputation as a creator right you know i mean simple as that i mean I really am happy for him, too, because he got a lot of shit pretty unjustly over the way Lost ended, because Lost was kind of anti-Westworld. It was a show where people only cared about the mystery, mm-hmm. and it was the original water cooler show, et cetera, not to retread on Lost, but the fact that he was able to... Uh... Did Lost make your list? <laughs> I've never seen Lost, to be honest. I he's able to redeem himself with something so fantastic. And Yeah, exactly. And I, I mean, if you appreciate writing, if you appreciate acting... This is the best show of the year for that. Worth catching in general because, again, it's one of the best shows of all time. What is your number one show of the year, though, Dave? My number one show of the year is Twin Peaks. Tell me why. Tell me why, Dave. I haven't I haven't seen it all year, so that's super weird. So Twin Peaks and Leftovers are the two shows that I watched from start to finish this year. Obviously, Leftovers had three seasons. Twin Peaks had two other seasons that came out in 1990 and 1991. Or is it 91, 92? 1991, I believe. And they've been on Netflix the whole time. And then they came back with an 18-episode Twin Peaks The Return, season three. And it's from David Lynch. I haven't seen any of his movies, but you might know Mulholland Drive. Uh, Justin Thoreau is in that. He's actually in one other Lynch movie. And his reputation as a just a very weird filmmaker, just, he does a lot of unique things, just unexpected, really uh, avant-garde. And Twin Peaks in the 90s, Andy Greenwald, a critic we're a fan of, it's you know his favorite show. He kind of grew up with the show. But watching it this past August and September, I totally can understand why people loved it back then. Because it, it has all these side characters and all these plots. And it really changes from season one to season two in terms of what it's about. It starts out as a simple mystery. Who killed Laura Palmer? You might have seen that on a mm-hmm. t-shirt. It's kind of a, a meme at this point. And it really evolves from there. And season three, something that we never thought would exist. And I gotta say, we, I, I just got into it. But <laughs> 26 years later, dude, crazy. It's ridiculous. And you know, a lot of the actors that were still alive back, almost all of them basically. And Kyle McLehan, uh, I forgot how you say it. He basically per- plays three different characters on this show. And it, it, it perhaps is the pound for pound best performance of the year because he does two performances in particular that are so different. And it just shows how much talent he had. I mean, this this show, 18 episodes, very indulgent, very idiosyncratic. But the plot is so intriguing, sometimes so nuts. But it's not like blowing up shit in fast. It's not like it's just like, it's not like you're watching Fast and Furious, the show. Mm-hmm. It's not nuts in that regard. It's just like weird things that you don't understand how somebody thought of this up to make it into a show. Mm-hmm. And that's basically like Lynchian in a nutshell. And again, we talked about Noah Hawley, very influenced by that. Episode 8 in particular might be the best episode of TV of the year. You'll see that very high on a lot of lists. 
uh, for everyone. And that I, I don't want to really say much about it, but it's just the fact that he connected all these dots in his head and made that episode and pulled it off. It's just, it's a show that really transcends TV. And I think that's why it has to be number one. If you've seen it, you would agree. It's unlike anything else in the best possible way. And the ending is absolutely bonkers. So if you're interested in Twin Peaks, give the first season a try on Netflix. You'll get the gist of why people liked it with a few episodes. And I think it's worth watching. I watched the whole thing in like three months or so. And you know, I'm glad I did because having no exposure to David Lynn going into this, I didn't really know what to expect. But man, is it just such an achievement. So that's why Twin Peaks is number one for me. Definitely check it out because again, that's a show that it's not going to get a lot of love. I uh, didn't get any love at the Golden Globes. We'll see if it happens at the Emmys this year. But it's a show I really want to get into. I just got to make the time for it. And it's on Netflix now, so no excuses. Yeah, season three was on Showtime. So I don't know if that'll ever get to Netflix, but the first two seasons are still on Netflix. And you'll definitely get a gist. There's a lot of cool stuff in that in those first two seasons. But I, I made a decision to watch Twin Peaks and Leftovers to end the year. Good choices. This year, I'm, I'm looking at probably starting Hall and Catch Fire soon. But yeah, we'll see. I mean, if I start on some backlog shows early, we'll see. I mean, first show of note coming out next year is American Crime Story that's not till mid-January so maybe time. we'll have some time The, the Bachelor in, uh, comes back January 11th yeah don't think I care about that anymore <laughs> you, you, had a, you had a brief run yeah I'm happy I I, uh, I get it right. you know Definitely. <laughs> we're gonna wrap up there I think we went a little long this episode but it was worth it there was a lot of great that's the point talk. so yeah we'll be uh, talking Star Wars next week following week we'll be end of viewing music and movies drops the reading and review on itunes find subscribe on youtube find us on soundcloud.com slash nostalgia pod and on twitter at, at nostalgia pod you can also find dave at martin swagger and me at, at sheeny world peace where we talk about all these shows and more any last thoughts for for the people dave yeah in addition to star wars coming out this weekend we got a bunch of music coming out namely eminem brockhampton nerd so a lot out on friday but those are the big ones nerd in particular it's their fifth album first since 2010 it's probably the most intriguing uh, shout out pharrell and of course i love brockhampton saturation three their third album of the year first two are amazing if you haven't listened to brockhampton yet please change that it's their last one they say it's their last album as a group they're probably gonna break up for now and go solo which is what happened with odd future i'm seeing them in boston in february they went from playing at Middle East downstairs, like the smallest venue in Boston, and to play in the House of Blues five months later. Pretty big rise. Yeah. <laughs> and then Eminem's ninth album, Revival, comes out. That track list is fucking atrocious. The singles that have come out are horrendous. If there's one good song in there, I'll be impressed. Let's put it that way. Well, I'm definitely going to give Nerd a list, and maybe I'll get to Brockhampton. Maybe we can talk about it before Star Wars next week. Lots to talk about next week and for the end of year stuff, but we will catch you all next week. Peace out. All my days. I pray.